And uh, tonight we are picking up in Genesis chapter 6, verse 10. Last week we looked at the first nine verses and settled the issue on the Nephilim, the giants. Um, I definitely didn't settle that issue. There's a couple of choices. Nobody can be dogmatic, but I do believe it was demonic because Jesus said the days before the rapture of the church, before the, the end times, it, the days will be as Noah. And Paul tells us clearly in 1 Timothy 4 and 2 Timothy 3, demonic activity would be evident. Doctrines of demons, deceiving men, would be something that would mark that generation. The days of Noah were a violent, corrupt, the heart of man was evil continually, he tells us. We definitely see it today. Men are deceived today. I mean, it's just, it's just unbelievable how people think the most ridiculous things, you know? Um, it's not just homosexuality or lesbianism anymore. Now it's transgender. You can be a hundred different genders if you want. Um, they're trying to figure out, should we let a guy who calls himself a girl compete with the girls? Would that be fair? It's just like, oh my goodness, this is a nightmare I need to wake up from. Insanity. Um, and this is what we're seeing. These doctrines of demons polluting anything and everything they can away from the image that God made man. The devil's just laughing. He's just having a good time saying, look at how stupid these great people God made in his image. They're laughable how ignorant um, they are. I was watching a thing the other day and it was, it was a test where they had the world map up and they were at a college and they gave them a, a college student a stick and said, point, there was nothing, it was just a map, blank map. They said, can you point to one country? That was it. The United States was right in the middle. Of course, it was connected with, uh, you know, Canada. And I mean, there were 20 students could not tell you, I think this is Africa. Okay, that's a continent. Can you name a country in Africa? They were dumbfounded. And I, I thought, yeah, this is how you control people. You, you get them so stupid that they believe the stupidest things and they will do the stupidest things because they believe the stupidest things. And uh, we're in trouble, but we're, it's great for us as Christians because we know it's just the Lord's return is near. So we looked at that demonic activity, a weird demonic activity last week, but we pick up in verse 10 here tonight of Genesis 6. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God. The earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt. All for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. So remember men at this time were living hundreds of years. Adam lived to be 930. Noah would live to be in 950. Um, it was not uncommon, and it just seems like the older people lived. So we saw last time where God said man's days will be 120. Um, that would be sort of the cap. Um, and so the, after the flood, um, the time we get to um, the time of, of Moses, I mean, people were living right around 70, 80 years. Moses lived 120, but it was unusual that he lived so long at that time. 
But anyway, it goes on to say in verse 13, And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Now, I don't think we know what gopher wood is today. Um, some claim it's sort of a, like a yellow cedar. It, it grows only uh, in a couple of places in the world. But we don't know. We just don't know what kind of wood that was. But um, make rooms in the ark. Make rooms. Cover it inside and outside with pitch. So some kind of uh, tar. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. It's width 50 cubits and it's height 30 cubits. So let's look at that. A cubit is right around 18 inches. Um, and so 300 cubits would be about 450 feet long or 150 yards. Which one helps you? Uh, you know, I think we know a football field, right? That's 100 yards. So uh, the arc would be a football field and another half a football field. You got that? Does that help? Is that easier? So a big football field, you know, half, half as big um, again. So that helps you. And, and then it was um, wide. It was 75 feet uh, in its width. Um, I didn't measure this building out here, but I would say we're looking at a building probably about 70, if you go from the outside to the outside, probably about 70 feet wide. I bet we're very close to the 75 feet. So if you want to think of the width of, of this building here. Um, and then um, 30 feet, or 30 cubits, which is 45 feet high. Um, and so that would be, again, about four-story, five-story building high. We'll see here in a minute, it has three different decks. So one way people say an easy way to, to picture how big it is, is you take a 30-story 30 30 building and lay it on its side. That's about the length, if that helps. It also is almost identical to the Titanic in size. So if you can think of the Titanic, that's about how big the ark was. Interesting point though, from Noah building an ark the size of a Titanic, it was never repeated by man until 1858, which wasn't that long ago, guys. You know, we're talking Civil War time. Um, so from Noah up to 1858, nobody could figure out how to do that. <laughs> but God told Noah how to do it. And of course, he had been alive for 500 years. I think you could get some pretty good skills going. You know, I think a Groundhog Day, remember Groundhog's Day? He learned how to play the piano and, you know, he could do all kinds of things because he lived uh, numbers of days. Uh, if you live 500 years, I mean, you could become a pretty good golfer, right, Danny? Yeah. And, uh, you know, learn all kinds of trades. And, um, and so maybe that, that helps you to get an idea. And in verse 16, you shall make a window for the ark, um, and it shall be finished up to, with a cubit from above. So in the very top third-story tier, you'll make an 18-inch window, very small, okay? 
and um, and set the door of the ark in on it in its side. So put the door the door on the side of it. You shall make it with um, lower, second, and third decks. So um, it doesn't sound like a very sound practice to have the door on the side of the boat there, but we're going to find out that God has a plan for that. So hopefully that gives you an idea. And uh, so the ark was like the shape of a, a shoebox, but a big one, a titanic shoebox uh, size. And, um, and we're going to discover here in a minute that he's going to put a number of animals uh, on the ark. And so let's look at that now in verse 17 to 22. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. So let's look at this specifically here. Not everything died. Everything with the breath of life or the soul in it. So, um, not all creatures, you know, have a soul, I don't believe. They're not a soulish animal. You know, you, you, you get a cricket, <laughs> you know, I don't know, get a magnifying glass, maybe you can see a cricket smile or be sad. I don't think so. Um, you know, then you go up to a lizard and, you know, but you start to get certain creatures, um, I don't really see much of a soul in a hamster or a, even a squirrel. Uh, maybe a cat. Maybe. <laughs> Very selfish little creatures, but they're, they're fun to cuddle with sometimes. But clearly in a dog, right? All dogs go to heaven, as the, the story says. You definitely see the, a dog. Has, it's happy, it's sad. Um, you can see within a dog love. Courage, bravery, you know, a dog will lay its life down to protect its owner. So the, the, the creatures, you know, a dog and above, uh, that have, have the breath of life. You know, in the uh, great trial um, on evolution versus creation, um, this point came up where he says, so do you think uh, God drowned all the fish? And he didn't know what to say. He was you know, befuddled, and of course, evolution won the day in the court at that time. But again, had he just read it, he would have read that, no, it says the only the creatures that have breath of life in them. Uh, it didn't say every creature. So I don't think worms and bugs, I think a lot of those things can survive in the water. But in verse 18, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your son's wives with you. And of every living thing, of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. You'll be amazed how many times it says this, male and female. Of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. So he said they're going to enter in two at a time, and I'm going to orchestrate this. You just build the rooms and get the ark ready, like I've told you, 
And when the time is right, I'm going to bring them, and they're going to come marching two by two uh, into the ark. And uh, as one commentator says, God doesn't seem to ever have a problem getting animals to do what he wants them to do. The real miracle is they got any humans on that ark at all, knowing how sinful and stubborn we are. But, um, you know, he did get Noah and his sons and their wives, which I, those eight people, I think, was the greatest miracle of all stubborn uh, man, rebellious man, getting them on the ark. So God did it. It's just a miracle that the Lord did. It doesn't seem to be like a, a big miracle. Uh, when you think about miracles, um, getting animals to go two by two into the ark, not a big deal. In verse 21, and you shall take yourself of all the food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. So in the various rooms, you're going to have a room with a bunch of food in there and water and, uh, you know, different things that you're going to need to survive for a few months. So thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him, so he did. There's the miracle, that Noah obeyed according to all that God commanded him, so he did. So you got to remember, it never rained. We're going to see this in a minute. It never rained on the earth. And, and so here's Noah, this man of, this preacher of righteousness, we've learned. And he's telling men to repent He's telling men that the wrath of God is coming. And, you, you, you know, you think of a, a big giant ship on the ocean and you're looking at it with the ocean. It's, it's still huge when you get up close to it. But imagine, I, I was driving through the desert one time with somebody, I can't remember who it was, and they, they said to me, imagine an ark just sitting there in the desert. Do you imagine how huge that thing would look? Now, one of the things on my bucket list is to go see Ken Ham's Ark. You guys heard about this? Right outside Cincinnati, Ohio, you cross just a few minutes, I mean like 10 minutes out of Cincinnati, you cross into Kentucky. And so it's actually in Kentucky, but it's only about 15 minutes from Cincinnati. He's actually got some millionaires and they funded and they built an actual wooden ark. You get to see it, life size. To this point, it is the largest wooden building on earth. Of course, we know there was one already, right? <laughs> but man has never built anything since Noah, anything like that. And they have all kinds of rooms. You can see it. And you have, you know, one that would give you, you know, the dating of fossils and rocks. Why are they millions of years old? That would be, you know, have the dating system. Another one is. But you also get to see, you know, they have how they lived and stuff. And he has a big auditorium where he debates um, different uh, scientists and stuff. And those things, a lot of them are on YouTube. They're awesome to watch. But, man, I, I just, when you get pictures of that, and you can look it up on YouTube or look it up on the internet, these pictures, it just, I don't know, every time I see it, I just am like, wow, what an extraordinary thing God told Noah. Noah, you're going to build a boat, 
because the whole world is going to be flooded by rain. Well, what's rain? We don't even have that word. That's a new word you're making up. Well, water is going to come out of the sky. What? How is that even possible? I mean, isn't that crazy? I was looking a while back, and there's been strange things where it rained fish. Have you heard about this? Where it just literally fish got caught up in not just water, and then when it rained, fish came out. Another one was frogs. Frogs, I don't know how they got caught up in the, in the rain, but they, a town got rained on with frogs. I mean, that's pretty amazing. But for them, it, it just, Noah's preaching, and he's telling people, it's going to flood because water is going to come out of the sky. And they're just like, how is it even possible? And, uh, of course, he preached, we know, for at least 100 years. That's how long it took because he was 500 years old when, he when God told him to start building the ark. And 100 years of preaching and of righteousness. And this thing had to be, you know, one of the seven wonders of the world to go see. So no doubt thousands and millions of people came at various times and would go back and say the word of this colossal structure. It must have been amazing. And there's Noah taking time off and he is answering their questions and he is preaching to them that their hearts were wicked continually in the eyes of God. And it, and it says that even there. It says that God saw that their ways were corrupt. See, that's the problem with man. We, we, we get corrupt, and then the next generation is more corrupt, and then the next generation is more corrupt, and no generation feels that they're as corrupt as they really are. Because if you look back at the early 1900s, we are corrupt. <laughs> if you look back at how things were in the 1800s, we are corrupt. We have corrupted our way more than any of our forefathers have corrupted their way. America today is more corrupt than it's ever been. Would we agree with that? And in our lifetime, we have seen an escalation of corruption, haven't we? I mean, come on, guys. A lot of you my age, I'm 61. I'm married to an older woman, but she would remember things like that. But remember, when we were kids, we could leave home on our bicycle and not come home until it was pitch black, dark, and no one ever worried about us. We would be gone 14 hours as an eight-year-old, out in the woods, all through the neighborhoods, and our parents never worried about us. You see what I'm saying? Now, in the noonday, you don't let your 13-year-old get more than 50 feet away from you because it's just so corrupt, it's so dangerous. And so we are here, guys. It's just we don't feel it, but God knows it. God's looking at the hearts of men. And he says they're evil continually. That in, from his point of view, violence is, the, is one the day. It's the main theme of description of such a society. And their hearts are corrupt before God. But Noah 
the only man that was right. Everybody else on the earth was wrong. Everybody else on the earth disagreed with Noah. And Noah didn't give into that peer pressure. I can't imagine what kind of pressure that was. Especially as you get older, you just don't want conflict, right? You get older, you just let the young people who have energy fight the fight. I, I just want to, you know, fly under the radar and hide out. Nobody notices me. Well, Noah was 500 years old, 600 years old when he got on the ark. Man, he had to fight it his whole hundreds of years, walking righteously, not, not like us from 18 years old till we're 80 years old and die, that, that we don't, we try to walk and obey God. We're talking hundreds of years, walking righteously on a planet where corruption dominates. It, it just blows my mind when I think of Noah. And what an amazing man of God he must have been. What character has to go deep to build a giant ark and to do it over a hundred year period and keep your boys and their wives and try to keep your family together in such a place. What a difficulty that must have been. Well, this leads us now to chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Think of this. God is saying, Noah, you are righteous. Come on in. Come in the ark. Of course, coming in that ark was a lot more than just walking on a boat, wasn't it? It was taking him out of this corrupt world. The ark was his salvation. It was the rest of the world's condemnation. The whole world was open to come. The righteous man was saying, come. Any who will, come. You can come on this boat. As many as are willing can come and live on this boat with us. Boy, it's really just sort of been God's standard throughout history, begging men to come. I think of Isaiah 1. Boy, there's one that we know well. In verse 18 and 19, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Another classic Isaiah passage, Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 3. Oh, everyone who thirsts, help me out here, guys. Come, come to the waters. You who have no money, what? Come, buy, and eat. Yes, come by wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? Why your wages, what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me. Eat what is good. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear 
and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. I think of the song of Solomon, which is the husband beckoning to his wife and his wife to her husband. Of course, it's Christ. And the church is the real prophecy in this song, this poetry, the song of Solomon. But in Solomon, Song of Solomon 2.10, My beloved spoke and said to me, Rise, my love, my fair one, and come away. In chapter 2, verse 13, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. In Matthew 11.28.30, Jesus now on earth, <laughs> come to me. All you who are labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly of heart. You'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In John 6, 32 to 35, Jesus said to the most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Here it is. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. As I'm listening to this Matthew 11 and this John 6, it's such a message for our generation. Hear people arguing about the politics and so many things, and you just want to stand up and say, come to Jesus. You want hunger or thirst. John 7, 37, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He was talking about the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit upon us. Keep praying for myself and the elders that are meeting right now on Monday nights. This, we were covering it and it was just a word from God. That's the main thing we need here at our fellowship more than anything. It's just an outpouring of God's Spirit upon us to reach our Jerusalem, Rossmore, and our Judea, Los Alamitos, and, and so forth. But here Jesus says, if you come to me and drink, don't just come to him, but come to him and drink, the Holy Spirit will come upon you without measure. One more verse, John 14, 1 through 3, sort of turns on the other side of the coin here. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you to myself, and that I am there you may be also. We're going to see in just a second that Moses did the work of the ark, but it was God's ark that he built. And there actually weren't eight people on that ark, were there? The Lord was there with them. When he said, come into the ark, he was in the ark. He was with them. Their salvation was that the Lord was with him. And he prepared the ark as Christ has repaired his body, that would be broken for us for our salvation. He was seen by God to be a righteous man. We saw last week where it says Noah was a righteous man in his generation. 
wasn't much to compare with, right? I think anybody could have looked righteous in his generation because they were all so corrupt, God had to wipe them out like Sodom and Gomorrah. But yet, why was he seen righteous? Number one, Hebrews eleven seven tells us, by faith, God saw him righteous. In verse 7, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of the things not seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became, what? The heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith, or that happened by his faith. By faith, he built the ark, and God saw his faith and counted it as righteousness, also, we saw last week in Genesis 6, 8, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Isn't that awesome? And so God saw Noah through grace and he saw him righteous. How does God see us righteous? <laughs> By faith and through his eyes of grace, right? In 2 Peter 2, 5, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world and on the ungodly. Well, moving along to chapter 7 of Genesis, verse 2 through 9. You shall take with you seven each of every clean animal, a male and his female, two each of animals that are unclean. The male and his female. Now, people miss this. Somehow they've cursory at a very thin level know the, the story of Noah and the ark. And, and they are quite dumbfounded that there's actually seven <laughs> of each of the clean animals. Remember, Noah was from the line of Seth, the righteous lineage. So no doubt he was taught by his father and grandfather which were, the right, which were the sacrificial animals, the clean animals. When we get through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, you guys will all know those as well. But the sheep and the goats and the oxen that, that, that would be sacrificed to God, those that are counted as clean animals that can be a, a sacrifice, an offering to God. And we'll see when he gets off the ark, he gives a sacrifice of these animals. And so people that don't know, they go, look right there. Only two of them, and he killed one off before, you know. It's like, no, 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 no. There weren't. The ones he killed were not the ones that were just two of. Those were the animals, different unclean animals. He, it was only the clean animals, and he had the extra ones for the sacrifice. And so in verse 3, also seven each of the birds of the air. Male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. So the, the birds had a, had a real giant uh, leap forward in reproduction because there was a lot of them that were on the ark, not just two. In verse 4, For after seven more days I will cause it to rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that are on the, have been made. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old. There we are. <clears throat> 520 started. Back in uh, chapter 532, it tells us that. 
uh, in the genealogy, and now he's 600. And when the floodwaters were on the earth, so Noah with his sons, his wife, his son's wife went into the ark because of the waters um, of the flood of clean animals and animals that are unclean, of birds and of everything that creeps on the earth, two by two, they went into the ark to Noah, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. And in verse 10, and it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. In 600 uh, year of Noah's life, in the second month, in the seventh day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were open and the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. So remember back in Genesis chapter 1 verse 7, let's listen to the description of the creation of the waters. In Genesis 1 7, thus God made the firmament he divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament as it was so. So we right now on the earth, 70% of the earth is covered in water. That's a lot. I do not think it was that way in the creation. I think there was this one giant ocean <laughs> And I think everything else was land. It was together. It was covered together. And it would have been a lot more land. Remember, we looked at before, if, if Adam and Eve have four kids and everybody after them had four kids, and we get through the 1,600 years from Adam to the flood, that there still would have been roughly around 8 billion people on the planet, a population almost uh, of close to today's. And so um, there was underneath the ground water. And notice in, in Genesis 2, verse 5 and 6, For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth. There was no man to till the ground, but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. So it sounds like there was pressure. And when the, as we know, the gravitational pull um, today causes the waves of the ocean to move, right? And that's how the oceans are cleaned. It sounds like the gravitational pull that the earth was very moist and, uh, and it would cause the pressure and it would be like a, a sprinkler system. The whole earth had a sprinkler system. But when the flood came, those waters underneath, what there still are big giant lakes under the, under the earth to the, today still. And there was sort of an ozone layer, if you would, a canopy of water. And that's probably why men started living a lot shorter lives, because that canopy before was protecting them from many of the ultraviolet rays coming through. Today, our ozone layer is very, very thin. And it doesn't really protect the earth, uh, probably as much as it did when you were a child. <laughs> You're getting less protection today than even 50 years ago. But that water, when you would have looked to the sky, it would, the whole sky would have looked like a rainbow color, the entire sky. That's what they would have known probably all the way up to the time of the flood. They just saw a rainbow. The whole sky was like a rainbow. And I believe this is why 
Um, God made the rainbow as a reminder of what they used to have and as a promise he had never flood the whole world again. But uh, it would have been a very different planet that they, when they got off the ark, things would have been very different than before the flood. They were there 40 days. Remember, 40 is the number of trials. Moses was 40 years in Mount Sinai until he turned 80. The spies went 40 days in to spy out the land. Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness. Elijah spent 40 days in his journey to Mount Sinai. Jesus had 40 days of temptation in the wilderness. You'll see that repeated through the scripture. 40 is the number of temptation and trials. Well, verse 13. And on that very same day, Noah and Noah's son, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of the sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind, all the cattle after its kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah two by two of all the flesh in which the breath of life. So those that entered male and female and all flesh went in as Moses or as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. The very same day we saw there in verse 11, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were open. So it seems like it happened as soon as they went in and God had shut the ark, that boom, the, the, the waters above that were covering the earth, that broke. It's no longer in existence. All that water fell on the earth. And then all of the lakes and the water that seemed to be distributed under the land, it broke and it all came out. And so with those two breaks, almost instantaneously, it flooded the earth. We estimate today, if the water of the earth was distributed evenly around the planet, it would be about two and a half to three miles deep. That's how much water is on the earth right now. And so it um, appears that a lot of that water was not on the earth. Uh, it was collected underneath the earth and in the sky until the flood. And uh, the Lord shut them in. I love that. Secure in their salvation. Sure in their deliverance. I think that would have been an awe-inspiring moment. When they're like, now how do we shut that door? <laughs> we don't know how to shut that door. It's huge. I, we can't do it. We didn't plan for that. God never told us to create a pulley system. He just said, build it, and we did. And they would have been there and would have sensed the presence of God, would have sensed the power of God, and would have sensed the Spirit as that door was shut. They probably would have been in a sense of awe and worship when that door was shut. The Lord shut that door. I think of that verse in Revelation 3, 7, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? These things says, he was holy, he was true. He who has the key of David. He who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. The ark was salvation for Noah, 
but condemnation for the world. The shutting of the door had a two-pronged effect. That door was open for a hundred years. <laughs> Noah, the preacher of righteous, probably begged them to come in that door. But it never was Noah in Noah's power to shut the door for his safety, nor was it in his power to shut the door to condemn the world. It was God who shut the world out. He gave them time. He gave them an anointed preacher of righteousness, a man of God that may be the greatest man of God of all times. When we get to heaven, we'll see. But he's definitely in the top ten. But they didn't, not one person listened to his preaching. Not one person repented at his preaching. And when the door was shut, condemnation was to the world. Jesus is that door. John 10, 7. I wonder when Jesus was preaching some of these things, if he was thinking about this. But in John 10, 7, Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. In John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And then, of course, he goes on in that and says, anybody that tries to get in outside of getting in through the door is the enemy, which is Satan, who's here to kill, steal, and destroy. In John 3, 17, we know the heart of the God. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So God's focus was saving what he could save. There wasn't much to salvage, only eight souls. So he shut that door to save them. But also in John 3, 36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, but he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The message was salvation. Noah preached grace, he preached salvation. No doubt he preached against the corruption of the day, but more importantly, he, he preached that God was gonna bring salvation to those who would believe, to those who would enter, to those who would abide. Interesting, that word that says come in, in the Hebrew, it's also the same word in the Hebrew to abide. So in essence, he's like come in and abide. You're going to be staying here in the ark. And that would have been Noah saying, come, come. Look at what a miracle this is. All these animals are showing up from all over the, the planet here, and they're, they're entering the ark. You see this? I'm not doing this. This is God doing this. They're all entering, and just two by two, they're walking right into the rooms I created for them on the first floor, second floor, and third floor. They're, they're doing it themselves. Again, if you want to do the math, it's very possible. Did you know if you were to take all the animals on planet Earth, this includes even if you're looking at dinosaurs and stuff, the average size of an animal is the size of a sheep. That's interesting. So there were some bigger ones, but they probably used baby ones. God didn't you know, get the oldest dinosaurs he could or the oldest whatever coming on the ark, probably got the babies. And then for many of them, they were hibernating type of animals, the bigger ones, just had them sleep, take a nap. And so again, it was 
God that brought them in and snuggled them in. And some of them no doubt had to be fed and they were able to do that. There was nothing else for them to do. Well, in verse 17 now, now the flood was on the earth 40 days and the water increased and lifted up the ark and it would rose high above the earth and the waters prevailed greatly increased on the earth and all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered and the waters prevailed 15 cubits upward and the mountains were covered and all flesh died that move on the earth. I don't know. This is so clear when people say it was probably a localized flood. You know what? If it was a localized flood, people would just go get on a mountain. But it makes it clear. Every mountain was covered and every person died. It makes it abundantly clear. The birds, the cattle, the beasts, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and every man. All in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life. All that was in the day in the dry land died. So he destroyed all things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping things and the birds of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. Verse 24. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. So next time we come together, we get to see them get off the ark and uh, what's happening in, in the next story. And then, believe it or not, we uh, have the Tower of Babel. We have another genealogy in chapter 10, the Tower of Babel in chapter 11. And then we're on to the life of Abraham, 2,000 years. So Adam lived 930 years. 70 years after his death, Noah was born. 600 years till the flood, so 1,600 years. 1,500 years when God spoke to Moses. 100 years later, 1,600 years, the flood came. About another 400 years, we'll have Abraham. So roughly Adam to Abraham, 2,000 years. Adam to Jesus, 2,000 years. From Jesus to today, about 2,000 years. Well, Lord, thank you again for your word. Just let it go deep into our hearts. Let us meditate on these things. And we know what a message and season this is because we are talking about what you prophesied thousands of years in advance, that your coming would come in those days of Noah. And here we are. Hmm.